Howdy. Rob Lee here with a special message from the fine folks at the Night Owl Gallery. Night Owl Gallery is an intimate artist-run exhibition space and shop featuring emerging Baltimore artists in the heart of the Highland Town Arts District. Here, you will find one-of-a-kind gifts, handcrafted jewelry, and home decor items, along with a few vintage treasures. Located in the rear of 248 South Conklin Street, across from Sally O's, Night Owl Gallery is a unique space that brings together owner Beth Ann Wilson's love of art, community, and culture. Additionally, Night Owl Gallery hosts an array of arts and crafting workshops throughout the year and participates in and hosts community events, many of which are free and open to the public. You're invited to visit in person or online at www.nightowl.gallery. You're invited to join us on Friday, August 5th from 5 to 9 at Night Owl Gallery for the debut of Alive, a show featuring new work by Lookford Baltimore, a.k.a. Gray Dillon. Dillon is a recent graduate of the Baltimore Design School and will be attending Maryland Institute College of Art in the fall. Seamlessly melding street art and fine art, Dillon's body of work is a kaleidoscope of colorful abstractions reflecting on what it means to be alive. The opening reception will take place during the first Friday Highland Town Art Walk and will feature musical performances by Ange the Alien, Basic the Basis, and more. Alive will be on view at Night Owl Gallery through the end of August. Visit www.nightowl.gallery for details. Welcome to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with the founder of Be More Flea. A Baltimore, uh, Be More Flea is, a ho- is the home to some of the city's most talented artists and collectors. Please welcome Patrick Horvat. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Excited to be here. Excited to have you on, and I want to get right into it because you got a you had an interesting background. I saw a few things that you sent over. Um, we were putting that bio together, and thank you for putting it together. Um, but I want to talk about um, you know what really what's your background in addition to like you know be more flea, but also what's the most appealing part of working in this the, the industry that you're in? Yeah, I, I sort of started out wanting to be an artist. Uh, I got into art through graffiti art. was kind of my first introduction into art as a kid. And that led into me um, becoming a graphic designer. But, you know, I was always involved uh, in the flea market side of things through my mom, who would take me to flea markets. And, um, you know, when I was working at Under Armour at the time, I was a little bit disappointed that Baltimore never had the kind of market that I I wanted it to have. I wanted it to have a curated vintage art and craft market. Um, so I started it kind of in the middle of my graphic design career and focused on on really bringing that to life for the city and all of its all of its creators and makers. Um, I'd say probably the most you know rewarding aspect of it is the sense of community and friendships that we formed. You know, I think the normal shopping experience, you go to target, you buy something, you throw it in the cart, you're in and out, you know, at a market, you get the opportunity to really connect and meet with all the different creative people. And you get to talk and understand how that's made. Um, you see the process, you know, you meet someone who spends all day working a nine to five comes home and makes, you know, candles in their basement for another six hours after work. And that really resonates with people. Um, you know, because you know, it's not necessarily coming from another country. It's made here in Baltimore. It's made by people just like you and me. 
And we've been lucky to build that, you know, and I think I anticipated that happening, but not to the extent of what it did and, and, you know, the friendships and bonds that have formed over that. Yeah. And it seems like a very like tight knit scene where, you know, I see the artist types and I'm just for context, I'm a six foot four, 300 pound (laughs) slab of noir marble. So finding some of the fits are a challenge for me, but I see the, the smaller art type folks that, you know, they, 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 they're going for the vintage stuff. They look at the quality of the items that are there and it's, it's a community and it feels like it's tight knit and it's almost this, I would imagine a component where, yeah, I bought that before. Or you've definitely yeah. got to go here during this time. This is the great time to get it. And yeah. you have people who are doing this. Um, I don't know if it's I call it remixing, but it's, a, a, I guess, an upcycling component. Upcycle. A, yep. Yeah. And um, so you have that community here of makers who are doing great stuff with other people's works. And that's really, really cool to me. And yeah. I read that your first pop up and correct me if I'm wrong here was back in 2013. So yep. how, how has the scene changed in terms of what people are looking for and um, just like how things are being made these days? I would imagine, you know, you're getting something that, you know, is maybe five years old. You're getting something that's maybe 10 years old and that might be different from the stuff that you were getting back in 2013. So right. in that decade since, how has the scene changed? Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to commend you on your self-description. I, I, I'm similar. I'm six foot three and... 300. So I, I might need you to write your description, <laughs> my description similar to yours. That sounded fantastic. <laughs> and I'm in the same boat. I have a tough time finding things that fit in vintage, but um, yeah, t- 2013 was so different in so many ways. And, and there were similarities as well that are still, that were still part of that era that are carried over now. You know, I, obviously in 2013, you didn't have this huge community of um, small sellers through Etsy and Depop and Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, so that Instagram had just started when we started and Instagram was pretty much just pictures of people's food or, you know, kids, Uh, there weren't, there wasn't the shopping element to it. So it's changed dramatically in that way. And and the fact that we're all now even more connected through that and, you know, buyers can reach me easily. I can, I can reach them more easily in terms of the product. Um, I don't know if it's really changed all that much. You know, I think markets have always been associated with art and craft and vintage and, you know, curated pieces. People come there looking for an experience. They just don't want to buy one thing. Um, I think, you know, maybe the the value of some things since 2013 has has gone tremendously up. Some of it has gone down. Um, You know, back then we had a lot of people who joined us as vendors who owned brick and mortars they own stores and it was a little harder to you know when we found someone who didn't have a shop it was always like hey my cousin's sister's uncle told us about you and you know i randomly found your email so that's changed as well you know now we can obviously find so many different local artists and and crafters here in baltimore through the through social media um the product though is, is really kind of it's not changed that much you know it's it's vintage curated clothing um, you know, uh, tons of artwork and, and crafts, people that make their own jewelry. Um, you know, I think within those industries, there's certain changes and trends and whatnot, but, uh, you know, it's really kind of the same product per se that we yeah. had. The people have changed, the vibe has changed, but, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same in that regards. 
I remember um, the flea market as more more the Patapsico one being a part of just what that and, and going back to one of the things you touched on, just you're, you're meeting people, you're meeting people in a scene, you're kind of making relationships. And I know that, you know, that has shifted, you know, since yeah. when I used to go there, I kind of just buy everything yeah. online and I wear certain things or what have you. But when there's an the opportunity to buy from someone locally. And I think that's the really clever thing that's baked in that this is a, a local setup. It's not like yeah. someone is in uh, the tri-states in the mid-Atlantic area coming here. And it's like almost like a carnival vibe of I'm popping over. I'll be yeah, here yeah. on Saturday. You know, yep. you might not see me next week. But I think with, with Be More Flea, you're able to it's accessible in that way. You're seeing people that you know, people are making their moves. And yeah. it's part of the it's part of running those errands, I think. And. You know, I I know that I'm I'm shifting into the the art guy aesthetic, which is really funny. My brother makes fun of me. He's like, if you have one more ring, or if you wear <laughs> one more Carhartt shirt, and I'm wearing a Carhartt shirt currently, yes. and he's like, if you buy another pair of Doc Martens, we're going to have issues. Yeah. <laughs> and that's literally what I'll put on. So uh, yeah, and and my understanding is, in speaking with folks that are in um, that are in like uh, textiles, that are in fashion. And they will speak upon those brands actually being really good brands um, yeah. in terms of like the quality and the sustainability attached to them. So yeah. if you will, could you tell us, because I think, you know, a lot of people don't get it. Could you tell us the difference between vintage and thrift? And how can you tell something that's vintage? Yeah, it's funny early. You bring up a good point mentioning the early uh, flea markets in Baltimore, because I would say that was something different back in 2013 is that we struggled with a lot of people coming to our market and kind of thinking we were that old school model of flea markets. You know, we had people coming and going, Oh, there's not bootleg DVDs here. You know, there's not things off the back of a truck. Yeah. And those markets are great. I love those markets because you can go and save money and find things, which is kind of the whole reason my mom used to bring me to markets was to save money. But you know, it's interesting to hear you mention that because that was probably a big change is that back then you had a lot of people who might show up and go, oh, this vintage T-shirt is 50 bucks. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Now we now we have people that would jump on that price because that, you know, that particular T-shirt might be worth 300 or 500. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely something that's that's changed. But in terms of, um, vin I think you wanted to talk about vintage versus thrifting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... You know, it's hard. It, it's very much like art because it's very subjective. It depends right. on who you talk to. To me, th I think thrifting is you go and, and you find something at a flea market, a secondhand store, or it's given to you, and you're getting it at obviously below the market value, right? You go to yeah. Goodwill and there's a, a Nike sweatshirt that you know last year sold for $100 and you're getting it for 20 Yeah. To me, that's thrifty. I think when it gets in, when does it become vintage? Um, for me personally, I, I kind of look at things that are 20 years and older. Mm. Um, now, the only caveat there is I don't, that includes, say, you know, obviously, you know, early 2000s. Yeah. A lot of people consider that vintage. I don't. It's just impossible for me to consider that <laughs> vintage. I just can't. I'm like, no, no, it's got. So in my, even though I, I, I'll just I'll sort of uh, contradict myself, but for me, I say it's 1990 and beyond. Or 1999 and, and past is kind of vintage to me. Y2K but, um, is the cutoff. <laughs> you know, some people might get upset because there are a lot of people that sell Y2K. And, it, you know, it's also weird to me. I'm, I'm like, to me, like, you know, 2003 seems like 
five years ago, you know, but it's, you know, it's 20, it's 20 years. As you get older, you lose track of time. Time is just like, for me, I don't know. It kind of stopped after 1999. I just, so, you know, it's different for, it's yeah, different for everything that is in that market. You know, some people might look at denim and they'll tell you vintage denim really is, is much older and they have different guidelines for denim versus Mm t-shirts. So, you know, it's subjective and it all, it all really depends. But my sort of, my rule that I have is 20, 20 years or older. Yeah. I mean, I has, I I was reminded a few months ago, how long 2003 was ago, because uh, that was when I graduated from high school and there were people I was talking to, I was talking to some students at my high school and they were like, yeah, I was born in nineteen. I was born in two thousand four. I was like, I hate everyone here. I hate everything that this represents. I was like, don't, don't, don't do this. Don't do this. Mm-hmm. And also, it's almost that vibe. And maybe this relates. It's almost that vibe when you hear, you know, Nirvana is classic rock now. Oh yeah, and that's yeah. thirty years. Yeah, that's thirty years. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. You just lose track. You know, someone said recently. Um, my generation, obviously, I was kind of in the middle of the '90s. And we looked at Vietnam stuff as, you know, Vietnam era was really old. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, cause we were collecting military stuff back then, but to the current generation, they look at the nineties. Like I might look at the at Vietnam era. And mm-hmm. uh, I think someone made a meme about that the other day. And it really kind of hit me like, wow, like, yeah, I'm old. I'm, you know, <laughs> 2003 was a long time ago. You know, yeah, it's- 1990 was, was an even longer time ago. It's, it's this one um, video uh, about this dude that's a time traveler. Um, it's a series, yeah. and he goes back to 2005. And he's, like, yeah. wearing the fashions that were there. So, like, jerbos, these oversized oh. throwback jerseys, yeah. and do-rags yeah. with the uh, the Nelly oh, bandana man. under the eye. 10 on 10. Oh, it's insane. And, yeah. and then you look at some of this stuff, and I'm like, oh, what was I wearing? And um, yeah. but, but I think it's a, it's a time capsule, too, where... You might look at a picture of yourself. You're like, "Wow, this is what I was wearing," or "This is what I thought was the uh, the pinnacle yeah. of fashion." And um, yeah. now I'm looking at some of my items. I've pretty much worn a two X shirt for probably a better part of like 20 years. But I remember yeah. when I was in high school, I had a few four X's, and I was like, "I never fit those. I could never fit those. Why, why was I wearing this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So from a standpoint yeah. of going to like an uptown cheapskate or something and trying to flip stuff because I couldn't fit it anymore. No one was buying it in that size. Like I had a lot of, as I'll say, unpopped polo. It was un, the tags were still on everything. There was no market for it at the time in that size. Yep. Well, it's it's interesting to to think about because, you know, what will be vintage, uh, you know, 20 years from now? Like we'll, we'll fashion from 2022, will that ever be considered vintage? Um, you know, cause th- some things that have come back that have been a real, you know, like, um, Ed Hardy stuff kind of <laughs> came back in a little, yeah. And, and I used to say, I'm done when that ha- when Ed Hardy stuff comes back in, I'm out, I'm tapping out. <laughs> um, but if you go on eBay, you'll see that there's people buying it and collecting it and, and you know, everything comes back around. But I, I think you kind of bring up a, a good point, which is one of the interesting and, and fun things about vintage is it's a personal, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Connection. It's a personal yeah. connection for people. You know, for me, I, I started kind of collecting sneakers and I collected sneakers because I wanted the ones I couldn't afford as a kid. Yeah. You know, so I started to collect Jordans and Dunks and Air Force Ones. Um, and, and clothing is the same way. You know, you maybe you weren't able to get that Nirvana t-shirt or go to the concert or, 
you know, whatever it was. So you, you collect it now and that little, it's just a, it's a beautiful little feeling and memory to hold on to. And I think that's also one of the things that kind of, uh, connects all of us kind of vintage lovers and dealers is I think we're sentimental people. You know, we hate the thought of like someone throwing that out yeah. or someone who doesn't see the value in that, you know? Um, and, and I think that's one of the great things about, um, the market and, and the things that we, you know, people put this great um, appreciation and value on it, whether it's clothing or art, you know, it's taken someone weeks to find it mm-hmm. um, or it's taken someone months to make it. And, yeah. that, and that kind of personal connection with, um, you know, whether it's a, a modern product or the past, but the, you know, the past is always fun because it's, you're, you're always finding like a piece of gold. You know, yeah. you're like, I can't believe I found this. I can't believe someone held on to it for 50 years in a basement, you know, wrapped in a towel and I'm at an estate sale finding it. It's just a great feeling. So I, yeah. I think people connect with that. It's uh, in some instances, it's modern day uh, treasure hunting. And uh, it is, yeah. yeah. So tell me about, I'm um, thinking back, how did you start acquiring vintage items to sell? And where did yeah. you, you know, get some of your early, like, how did you do that early sourcing? Because I have yeah. no ideas. I mean, you touched on estate sales a little bit, but tell me more. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said earlier, my, um, really owe it to my mom who brought me to flea markets. She, she loved saving money. She was very passionate about saving money. God bless her. You know, she was, she cleaned houses for a living and Mm -hmm. she was in a house five days a week. And when the weekends would come, she didn't want to stay in the house, you know, and she sort of combined that, I think with her love of saving money and um, probably, you know, in all honesty, probably wanting to get away from my father, (laughs) you have some time to herself. So she would, we would go to the flea market, you know, once or twice a month. And um, I hated it. There was nothing there for me. You know, I was probably 10 years old and, you know, I wanted to do nothing but ride my BMX bike, you know, play Atari. And one day I went and there was a guy selling baseball cards, thousands and thousands of base, you know, more than I had ever seen in my life, you know, binders and boxes and folders and milk crates of, of baseball cards. And I had found this baseball card. It was, it was actually a 1965 Tops Jim Booten, who was an old pitcher for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And it was so much, you know, this would have been around 1984, 85. So that card was, you know, 20 some years old. And it was cooler than the cards that I had as a kid. It was cooler than the Reggie Jackson card. It was cooler than these, you know, the packs we were getting as kids. Mm-hmm. So I ran through the flea market. I found my mom and I said, mom, I need 75 cents. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. and anytime you ask my mom for money, it, it was an interrogation because she loves saving money. So, mm-hmm. well, why do you need it? Why is it three times the cost of a pack of cards? Are you going to use it? Are you going to throw it under your bed and forget about it? You know, so I go through this like 20 minute, like, you know, question and answer with her. And she, you know, kind of, Grumungently give me the, the, the 75 cents and I ran back and bought it. And it was at that time, I think as a kid, I made the correlation with like, wow, you can find cool old stuff at flea markets yeah. that have character. And, and I could bring that back to the neighborhood and show kids and they were mind blown, you know, and it, it was a cool card. It was a gold, it was golden blue foil. And it was like nothing I'd ever, I still have that card to this day. And through that, you know, I started to really love and go to flea markets and appreciate them. And, you know, and collecting cards turned into, uh, I went and moved into collecting old railroad photography. And then, you know, because I was in BMX and skating, I was collecting graphic t-shirts. 
because the skateboard shop had them for you know 20 but the mm -hmm. flea market i could get them for a dollar or two dollars um and it all just started there you yeah. know and it started with this appreciation for things and and not wanting things to end up in the trash and um you know it, it turned out i eventually got into collecting sneakers so of course in the 90s you had to have t-shirts that matched your sneakers this is true <laughs> yeah and, and, and it just steamrolled but you know i would say for myself and a lot of people in the industry you're finding things at goodwills mm -hmm. um estate sales yard sales uh facebook marketplace um and flea markets and flea markets weren't really the spot to go to in the last few years mm -hmm. so you know I, I loved it i was always there collecting i didn't really sell at, at the market i i always cr I, I created the market for everyone else yeah. i didn't i didn't necessarily want to sell my own stuff there because i had been selling for years through ebay and through private collectors but i was always collecting and um you know the flea markets were kind of being overlooked yeah. because everyone was at you know the goodwill bins or estate sales but now that the, the the market has gotten so saturated you know i've seen the movement go more to kind of these you know back road flea markets where uh, god bless them old people are showing up with you know carfuls of old t-shirts and jeans <laughs> and um yeah it's it's you know it's kind of everywhere you just kind of got to look for it and then you know, it, it takes a bit of hard work and searching. You know, I go to a couple. I go to a couple flea markets where if I'm not there at five a.m., I'm late. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, I see some. Of the, I see some of the posts. I look at things. And I'm like, what are you getting? Dude? And then, then there are other things that I'm like, all right, I can see this going in the studio. I can see this like yeah. adding some character to a room. And yeah, yeah. I, I I think. It, it gives me the vibe of what a barbershop used to be, at least the barbershops we would go to. Yeah. I remember my dad would take my brother and I to the barbershop. And if we didn't get there by like seven o'clock, we were screwed. It's like yeah. you're getting your hair cut yeah. at 11 or yeah. you're, we're going to come back next week. Yeah. And, you know, I would imagine that's kind of what that vibe is. You got to get in, yeah. you get what you're going to get and then you roll. Yeah. And it's like any, any kind of, you know, culture or subculture. Yeah. Once you get into it, you learn ins and outs you learn pros and cons, you learn what works, what doesn't work. And you, and you kind of realize, all right, if I'm going to set myself up for success, I have to do this, right? If I want to get a hair, if I want to get a good haircut, I got to be there at this time or when that barber's there. And the same is, is kind of true with vintage, you know, every shop, um, resellers and curators are dialed in, mm -hmm. you know, they'll tell you like, Hey, if you go to this shop, they're generally going to bring new racks out at this time. Or, you know, this, this group uh, that owns these estate sales, they're really great. You know, go to theirs. Or, you know, th this other group, they overprice. Don't go to their estate sales. So you learn all the, all the nuances that allow you to, you know, find joy in what you do and, and find good things to either keep or resell. I've just always been a fan. I think because I got involved in the arts, um, I hate boring stuff. Yeah. And I think because my mind's always, always racing, I think it, it's almost therapy sometimes for me, like to dig through something and to just look at a hundred things in 20 minutes and, and find something that's cool. I think from a design aspect, from a, you know, a cut and sew aspect, um, you, know, you, you either have a love and appreciation for it or you don't. Yeah. And I think a lot of us do. So when we see cool things, you know, it could be an old boom box, you mm -hmm. know, that reminds us of when we, you know, were kids or, 
it could be an old Etch-a-Sketch. It could be anything. You just get that, your mind just kind of clicks. And then, then of course, you've got to decide whether you want to buy it. Is it worth it? How mm -hmm. much is it? Do I want to keep it? Do I want to sell it? And, you know, like, like myself, you end up with a house full of stuff you love <laughs> and, and, and full of stuff you need to get rid of. <laughs> one, one of the things that I got really interested in, like I was doing the model cars and then I did the watches for a while and yep, I have yep. a lot of fitted caps and that was a thing. And But one yep. thing I really got into was like the Mondo posters, like the old like joints from like the 70s. And it was like, if I can like find a place that just has those and yeah. put those up, that'll be great. And, you know, I it's something I need to spend a little bit more time doing and you know I'll definitely pop over and check out your market and you know just just get a vibe of it because you know yeah. you want to see the scenes and I, and I guess it's a uh, in some ways it's almost like a version of uh, what is it called a gonzo journalism yeah where you're just kind of dipped in and you're like all right so what is this scene about what's happening here yeah yeah <laughs> and um, so yeah um, so one question I had and this would be the last real question because the other ones you already kind of got and and I appreciate okay. that. Um, so I, I, there's a, there's an artistic side to it. There is a community side to it, but also there's an entrepreneurial side to, you know, what you do to the day to day and or the week to week. Right. So what would you say, like three traits that, that you possess that make you successful at what you're doing and in those traits, what's the one that's the most challenging for you to kind of like, you know, master, if you will. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's a tough one to answer. You know, I always grew up, like I said, I grew up as an artist. I never felt that I had a good business side to me. You know, I was always kind of a little bit more carefree and, uh, you know, uh, business was, was always tough for me, but I loved the market so much. That's what made me jump into it. But I, I would say that to that point, you've got to love what you do, you know, because you're going to get knocked down. Uh, you're going to have the door shut. You're going to hear no. And you're going to have that happen. Like we, you know, we got knocked down and then starting the market 20, 30 times. Mm -hmm. And that it's hard for the average person to get back up from that. Most people, you know, you want to, you don't, you want to stay down after getting hit once or twice, you know, you're like, forget this. It's too hard. But when you love it, you get back up and you sure. almost become, you, you become a, a glutton for punishment because you are so focused on wanting to achieve your goal and your love. And when you don't love it and you're not having fun, it's easy to walk away. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's probably number one, which and number two, it kind of falls in the same line with that is being persistent, mm -hmm. you know, stand, uh, stand up for what you believe in, have, have sort of a, a brand standard uh, and stick to that. You know, yeah. should we, should we do this? Should we partner with them? Um, there's always people that want to give you ideas and they never have plans. Right. You, you want to partner with the people that come to you with not just an idea, but a plan, but it's also got to be brand right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you know, I was lucky enough to work for a lot of brands like Nike and Under Armour. And that's, that was sort of their factor in, in figuring out whether they did something or not, whether they did a collaboration or a partnership was, is it brand right? You know, yeah, we can do some super hyped up vitamin water. Is it right? You know, yeah. we make, we don't do water. We do sports apparel, for yeah. example. Um, so I think you've got to kind of have that filter for yourself and your brand. And, and, and that can, having a brand identity and a brand guide can filter through, it kind of removes personal opinion. And you just, you ask yourself, is it brand right? Yeah. You know, does it fit? Um, I would say three is really, you've got to know your consumer. Yeah. 
you've got to know who you're appealing to, who you're not appealing to, who you're selling to. Um, and the, the thing is, is when you love what you do, chances are you already kind of know that. Mm-hmm. But you also have to remove yourself. You know, I think we're all by nature selfish people. We look out for ourselves. We assume that if we like something, everybody else likes something. Yeah. And I've learned a long time ago to remove myself from that equation. You know, sometimes I'll look at the market and I'll be like, wow, like we've got 100 people here who are under 25 years old. I'm, I'm far from that. Yeah. You know, so I have to get in tune with that. You know, I have to talk to people and see what they buy. And, and you know, every brand, large or small, does that because yeah. you want to relate. But at the end of the day, again, if you love what you do, whether you're 50 or 20, you're buying something that's old and cool and you love it, you connect. So you know that consumer. Um, but that's important because, you know, the consumer always changes. Trends yeah. always change. Um, and you want to stay in tune with... Um, with you know that consumer because that's your supporter that's who yeah. loves what you do and and you love that they support you so you want to be um aligned with them and and what they're looking for absolutely i, I, yeah. I agree with that and uh with it what would you say the, the the hardest was for you to kind of like really work through and, and kind of get to a point where you're like i think i'm good here what was the hardest for you uh, you know maybe being persistent and getting back up yeah. because at some point, you know, companies do fail and you have to say, wow, I've been knocked down 20 times. I'm losing money. I'm not seeing my family. Is this working? Right. And I think about all the people that stop short of their goal. You mm-hmm. know, if someone asked me like how many times you get knocked down doing the flea market, 30, 40, most people would stop. And I wanted to stop way before that you know i was like i can't deal with this it's too hard yeah um and it's a fine line you know you get to a point where it's persistency and and sort of ignorance are almost kind of combining you know like (laughs) man i'm stupid i need to stop doing this i'm I'm getting punched in the face every day like i have to stop so i think the hardest is is persistency and, and knowing when to keep going because you can keep going and feel miserable for months or years Mm-hmm. until you know I, I don't think that we're successful by any means i feel like we've gotten a good stride yeah um, i say that because i want to keep improving it so mm-hmm. success can i mean we're going on 10 years and i still wouldn't say we're successful right um and it's hard to do that it's hard to keep going when um you know you you are pushing and fighting and struggling so i think that's the hardest and knowing yeah. kind of when to salute yourself and feel good about something and when to say, Hey, wait a minute, I got to improve this or I got to make it better. That's, that's tough. You know, it's, it's really tough to do that. And thank you for sharing that. I think that's a a good spot for us to stop. Um, and now it's time to get to some rapid fire questions as you're drinking out of a vintage mug. I think that's the <laughs> vintage cup. Is that the X-Men on there? That's, that's how, it, how did X-Men. I know? How did I know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uncanny to be exact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, we definitely had those cups in the old. This, this, this shows you the repurposing of things. Those old jelly jaws, the Tom and Jerry joints. I just was thinking of that where you yeah. had to eat the jelly to use it as a glass. Yeah. Smart, smart marketing. 
Uh, absolutely. And I kind of wish they came back, actually. <laughs> I see them for sale. So next time I'm going to get you, I'm going to, you know, you know, what's horrible about them as an adult, they hold like three ounces of, of juice. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just for alcohol at this point. Like, yeah. This is just a shot glass. This it's a shot a glass. Yeah. It's like, I'm doing shots out of a strawberry shortcake, jelly jam glass from 1985. <laughs> it's like, what does this say about me? Yeah. Who have I become? <laughs> Who have I become? <laughs> so I've got some, um, some rapid fire questions for you. And, sure. as, you know, we talked a little bit earlier. So you know how this rolls. Um, yeah. I'm nervous, though. I'm nervous. <laughs> what movie from your childhood you love, but it does not hold up? It's like, this is not good, but you love it because of the childhood connection. What's mm. one that comes to mind? I've got two. Okay. I'm going to say Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Loved mm-hmm. it. Watched it every day. Uh, we would go to my friend's house and four or five of us would watch it on VHS just to pause the moment where large Marge turns in the truck and her face gets animated. We tried to always pause it to see how they did that. Yeah. And there's, there's such great nuances in that movie. Like when Pee Wee's pulling out the bike chain and it takes them like 20 minutes to pull it out. If you look on the bottom of the screen, you can see them feeding the chain. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Some people might say that does stand the test of time, but my second one, I was really, my dream was to be, a BMX freestyle rider. And okay. there was a mo- there was a movie called Rad. None of the movie, yeah. Yeah, and every, I mean that in the summer, we would all ride together as kids. 20 mm-hmm. of us would ride in the streets and do BMX and ramps and all this get into mischief. But we watched that movie every day before we went riding. And you know, you go back and watch it and you're like, oh boy, how did I how did I <laughs> How did I get through this? And I, I had a similar experience recently growing up as a kid. I used to love, I don't know if you remember their cartoon, Super Friends. Yes. With the Hall of Justice, mm-hmm. uh, Aquaman, Spider-Man. And I, I watched, one, I, I lived for that on Saturdays. And I watched that recently. And it was literally, it was Aquaman. He was going to help Superman, but he was swimming under ocean to get to him. And it was 25 minutes of Aquaman swimming by the same rock. Just <laughs> and oh, and I was like, "How the hell did we watch this as a kid? How did it like maintain our attention?" But yeah, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and, and Rad. I used I I would watch because um, my partner, my my girlfriend, uh, she will throw on Saturday morning cartoons, and yeah. it would just be going into uh, HBO Max or going into uh, Disney and just letting it roll, right? And yeah, I remember we were watching an episode of Spider Man and His Amazing Friends, and a lot because I, I was I was born in 1985, so there's just things mm-hmm. I had not seen, and yeah. She was like, look, this is what I used to watch as a kid. I'm like, fantastic. So we would watch it, and it was one with this character named Swarm, and he was just made out of bees. Yeah. And he would just yeah. talk like a robot, like Swarm is here. Yeah. And she was like, I love this episode. I was like, yeah. this is bad. She was like, oh, no, it's yeah. terrible, but also it's great. Yeah. That um, was actually – I used to love that cartoon as a kid. It always had, like, a weirdness to it or just it was a, it was always a little bit darker than yeah. the other cartoons. It was. I always wonder, like, how much – secret meaning and you know little nuances were in that that the writers and animators threw in there is kind of interesting to me yeah when you look at um what is that show the toys that made us or what have you or things of that nature you would see like who are the the coked out producers in the background who are working on these different things (laughs) because like the he-man story is pretty wild wow the the barbie story is pretty wild yeah 
Yeah, those those get deep. Those get yeah. very deep. <laughs> um, what word or phrase do you overuse? Uh, wow. No worries. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big no worries guy. I say all worries. Um, I say keep worrying worry. about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I use it because, you know, what's funny. Over the last couple of years, I'm not like a spiritual yoga uh, you know, align my spiritual powers, but I've really been big on creating um, just a good vibe, especially mm-hmm. around the market. And, and I do believe, you know, having that mindset works and people, one of the things with the market that's tough is someone will prepare for weeks to come set up. They wake up at four, they're full of anxiety, they're nervous, they want it to be perfect. And, you know, sometimes they'll show up five minutes late. I can see them sweating you know, 20 yards away before they get to me and they're worried and they think, you know, we're going to be upset. And I just, I like to say, hey, no worries. Like, no worries. It's, it's, you know, it's not a corporate environment. This isn't a uh, presentation to 300 people. And, um, but, you know, I also hate sounding like a, a surfer dude <laughs> on the East Coast who's like, no worries, man. <laughs> so I, I, I definitely overuse it. I definitely overuse that. Uh, I got a couple more for you. Um, sure. This one is a kind of a quick one. Street smarts or book smarts? Both. Yeah. Okay. Both. You know, I think, I think growing up in graffiti, uh, I learned a lot of uh, tough lessons on the street. You know, we, especially riding bikes, we were always on the streets. You know, I was, I was the last born. So I was the kind of latchkey kid, you know, kick, get kicked out of the house, come back before the, the, the sun went down which didn't happen. Um, uh, but you know, I, I, my sisters were also a big influence on me because they were kind of the older, smarter ones. Mm -hmm. So they were the ones that pushed me to, to not be a knucklehead and, you know, try to focus on school. And and it was tough for me. I, I, I had to work hard. Um, school wasn't easy. I was a guy that was always trying to bypass doing like a six page paper by doing like an art project (laughs) like like i remember like in eighth grade i was like well instead you know if i read the book and do a poster based on the book you know and i would try to charm my way into into doing getting out of the the book smarts by by doing artwork but uh i'd like to think i'm a combination of both okay but i'm Uh, an idiot sometimes too i'm I'm not i'm not perfect What is your, your go-to breakfast? I mean, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So what is that go-to breakfast for you? Wow. You know what's funny? Recently, growing up, I hated scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. My dad was like old school and always wanted me to eat scrambled eggs and a glass of milk, and I hated it. And over the, I don't know, maybe the last 20 years, I learned to love scrambled eggs. Mm-hmm. But only recently have I found these magical cups where you just put them in the microwave, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, you don't have to scramble them yourself and chop up all this. St- and it like cuts the time in half. I don't yeah. know why I hadn't done it sooner. I remember being at work once and I saw one of the girls in the, in the cafeteria at Under Armour doing it. And I thought that's weird. Microwaving scramble eggs, but these, I think they're, um, I don't know, Jimmy Dean scrambled eggs in a yeah. cup. I'll, I'll plug them for free. <laughs> they're not paying me, <laughs> but they're, they're amazing. And yeah, scrambled eggs. Okay. This is the last but one for you. I usually okay. actually, I usually don't eat breakfast. I'm usually like, I don't know if you're similar to me. Like it just seems like a lot of people that are always coming and going and moving fast. We don't, we don't eat till like two or three in the afternoon. <laughs> no, that's, that's a legit thing. I, I had to get better yeah. at it because um, I'll go to the gym in the morning and then I'm like dead afterwards. So it's like for a while yeah. I was just thugging it with black coffee and yep. 
but then I'll get the jitters because I haven't eaten anything. And I was like, all right, yeah. I need to sort this out. But if I had all the time in the world, yeah, I, I'm going like chicken and waffles every time. Oh, Let me yeah. just get loose on it. Yeah. Um, See, I, I couldn't do that. I'd have to nap immediately after that. <laughs> no, <laughs> <But> I would have. <laughs> you know, I'd be like out. I'd be like, oh boy, I'm dead. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna be sleeping for another two hours. Yeah, just I'm I'm up and I've been getting up at like four recently because that's just yeah. what the universe is telling me to do. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna blow up eventually. Um, yeah. This is the last one, um, and this is a ridiculous question. And cool. all we all we need is a number. All right. Or an estimate. Estimate is fine. Okay. At your peak, how many pairs of sneakers have you that you own at one time? What was the highest number of sneakers that you owned at one time? Four hundred. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I was deep. I was, I was, I needed help. I needed help. Yeah. I, I love sneakers. You know? <laughs> Just being a degenerate, like look at those shoestrings oh, right there. <laughs> oh my God. You know, and I, it was deep. You know, I remember being a kid in the nineties, you would uh, iron your shoelaces, you know, keep them flat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then of course, I think I bought my first, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. Uh, 1985, my mom took me to the mall and said, you're getting school clothes. And I said, okay. So she gave me, I think, 50, 50 bucks, which, you know, back then was, believe it or not, you could get school clothes for 50 bucks at Kmart or whatever in the mall, Bradley's, Ames. And so I got all my school clothes, and I get to the end of the mall where Foot Locker is. Mm-hmm. And I walk in, and there are the Air Jordan 1s. <gasps> Black, white, and red. Mystical. First real, mystical. Like, just, I don't know what it was. It was unreal. I ran to my mom. And she was ticked off because I just mm-hmm. kept saying, I want them, I want them, I want them. And she said, you know, she, I was very persistent as a kid. And then she said, okay, fine. Take back all your school clothes, which was a nightmare in 1985. You had to fill out like every form, give them your birth certificate. Why are you returning? <laughs> it took forever. And then she said, okay, now go borrow $20 from your sister and you can get them. Wow. And I got them and uh it was that was it. I was hooked. I started buying on eBay. You know, when I first got my first job in like 97, I thought, "Wow, now I can I have money. I have a little mm-hmm. extra money." So I I was on eBay every day and you know, had deals and hookups and you know, someone knew someone who knew someone and and then a friend of mine in in Brooklyn opened a shop called Pre- Premium Goods. So I had sneakers one block from my apartment on Fulton Street. Yeah, I was done. It was over. I was, I was, uh, I've sold, I've sold more than half. I've sold probably maybe 200, 250 of them. And I'm, I'm getting ready to sell the others. I, but, you know, I'm, I'll still maybe buy another <laughs> here or there. You never stop. You never, you never stop. Yeah, 400 I though. I would I say, dabble. I'd say 400. Yeah. 400 is a lot. I mean, I mean, I wear a size 13, so there's certain things. It's just where are we at? Where can we get them? But uh, yeah. yeah, like yeah. once I got to a spot where I kind of just wear the like with gel eight, like a six all the time because yeah. I work out in them. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. OK, but if I have to pull out, you know, because I have like I have my 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 um, my uh, cash, uh, my cachet, if you will, of uh, sneakers that I kind of hide away. And it's like. I'm not gonna break those out yet. No, no, no. These, yeah. these need to yeah. be broken yeah. out for some type of performance, some type of public appearance, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. So it's a lot like li- it's a lot like liquor. You know, you've got your top shelf, 
you're like, eh, I'll wait on that. You got your rail drinks. You're yeah. kind of mid ranges. Yeah, there's certain moments and times you you bust a pair out. I had a bad. I busted a pair out not long ago, and they crumbled right on me. They oh, just, no. just, oh yeah, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. So, yeah, it's it's tough. It's an addictive hobby that uh, <laughs> I'm slowly, slowly getting out of over time. <laughs> I dig it. So. With that, I want to thank you for being on this podcast, and I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out. The floor is yours. Thank you. Um, the easiest way is to just follow us on Instagram at Be More Flea, B-M-O-R-E-F-L-E-A, and stop by the market. We're at Broadway Market every Saturday till December 17th, except October 15th. We won't be there because of the marathon, and you can find us uh, at Peabody Brewery. Sunday, August 7th is our next Sunday pop-up. Come by, say hi, and meet some awesome vendors and, and find whatever your addiction is. Rings, <laughs> old RoboCop VHS tapes, <laughs> sneakers. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank uh, Patrick Horvat for coming on Be More Flea, Be More Flea. And um, I'm Rob Lee saying that there is community, uh, sustainable fashion, vintage in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.